Uh, I'm Mike Breen with the American Mathematical Society, and I'm talking with Mark Finney, who was the U.S. with the U.S. Forest Service at its Rocky Mountain Research Fire Station in Missoula, Montana. And uh, Mark works uh, on studying the spread of fires, trying to simulate wildfires. And, and so, Mark, uh, can you tell us about that work? I'd be happy to. So uh, I work at the Missoula Fire Sciences Laboratory, and it's been uh, in operation since 1960. Um, it was uh, one of two laboratories established by the U.S. Forest Service uh, from the late 50s to the 1960s, and it was it was established for because of some major fatality incidents in firefighting. So firefighters were killed, and uh, the Forest Service said, "Look, we need to know more about fires so that we can avoid these kinds of disasters." And so uh, the laboratory, our current laboratory, um, is the last one. Um, the other one was in Macon, Georgia, and that closed down in the 1990s. Um, but uh, Missoula Lab is still going strong, and we have a number of different research projects there. Um, some of it's related to ecology, um, and so the ecological effects of fire and how to use fire um, in an ecologically beneficial way to sustain uh, our ecosystems. Some of it is uh, more about the fire science or fire physics um, and uh, understanding how fires behave, and that's kind of what I work on most of the time. We have other um, other uh, people working on smoke production and related projects associated with fire suppression. But uh, my my world um, and my job is mostly taken up with understanding how fires behave and then also um, adapting these findings to practical models to use uh, out in the field when we're both planning for fires as well as trying to predict those active fires that are going on now. And, and so you mentioned the fire physics uh, and, and the modeling. Uh, can you tell us what you know, uh, areas of math are involved in that? Right, so um, the team that, that I lead um, in fire behavior research, uh, we have a number of different kinds of people. Fire, fire, fire research, fire in general, um, is a very multidisciplinary field because there's no one kind of fire scientist. We have biology, biological scientists, chemistry, physics, engineering, atmospheric scientists, all of those overlap in this little area called fire science. So we have team members that a lot of them are in the physical sciences um, and, and in engineering, um, but we also have electronics engineers, all kinds of engineering um, and statisticians, mathematicians, uh, technicians, all of this is necessary to, to really study fire. There's just no, no one of us are good at all of those kinds of things. Um, and so the way we study fire behavior is to break it down into its component pieces. We kind of know the, the basic building blocks and there are three of them. One is, the, uh, is combustion and energy release. The second one is uh, heat transfer. So how does the heat go from what's burning to adjacent fuels that need to then ignite? So ignition is the third one. So you have this, this uh, coupled system, it goes in a circle, combustion and energy release, uh, heat transfer and ignition. And then what ignites then goes back and burns again. So this is kind of how we divide up the research problem. And our approach in our laboratory, because we have wind tunnel and combustion labs where we can burn things, um, and we also do outdoor experiments as well, uh, but is to uh, use experiments to help us understand the phenomenon. We use modeling too, and we use math in a couple of places. One is to analyze the data, of course, and we need that and to come up with uh, mathematical uh, simplifications of the physical phenomenon and to characterize that well. 
but we also use math in, in formulating models derived from the experiments that we can use then to predict fire behavior or to understand this coupled system um, that I described. Because you can study the three different component pieces, but until you put them back together again in this system, you can't see the system level behaviors um, arise, right? Because just burning something in a, in a pile like a campfire or a candle, that doesn't tell you how wildfires uh, use those same processes in spreading. So uh, mathematics is in, and statistics, uh, both of them kind of uh, go hand in hand in a lot of this because we're collecting data. We need to reduce those data down um, to something that can be analyzed. Um, and then in statistics is a very um, a useful way of deriving these relationships um, or from a descriptive standpoint. But, but ultimately we need to explain the physics. We've got to explain the physics in a generalized way that we can use for modeling. And, and so for example, would that uh, involve like computational fluid, fluid dynamics or? Some of our people um, do that. That's exactly right. The, um, if you've ever watched uh, campfires and the flames moving around an awful lot, um, you know that that's a fluid, fluids process. Um, a very buoyant, hot fluid. And so computational fluid dynamics is an area that people um, uh, use to under, understand fire behavior, particularly flame behaviors. Um, but we also do simpler kinds of things where we use high-speed imagery um, of our flames and to uh, capture the movement of flames at very um, high frame rates. And so uh, graph um, image analysis uh, processing is used an awful lot on that. Um, that's not really my specialty, but we also use uh, uh, high-speed infrared cameras an awful lot to take a look at this heat transfer but from the flames or from burning fuels to the fuel particles. We can, we can uh, with different lenses and different kind of filters, we can examine the, um, the heating of fuel particles uh, as they're exposed to this kind of heat. Um, so when I say fuel particle, I'm talking about pine needles and grasses or pieces of wood, that kind of thing. That's the fuel in wildland fires. Mm -hmm. and, and so we've seen a lot of fires in the news, both, in, you know, it seems like the, the number of them is increasing and the, you know, the, the number of big fires seems to increase or devastating fires seems to have increased too. It is, do you feel like you're, you have made a lot of recent progress understanding fires? So, we, we make progress all the time, but I will tell you that um, some of the, the, the earliest questions, the most basic questions about fire behavior have still yet to be answered. Mm. And, and those, uh, the simplest questions are usually hard, but like, how do fires spread? How long do fire, fires burn? Um, are big fires different than small fires? Uh, do they behave differently? Um, uh, how do live, does live vegetation versus dead vegetation ignite and does that burn? These are very easy questions to ask, but they still don't have answers to them. So we, we're still um, working away on some of these basic ones in the laboratory and in the field. We use the field experiments to see whether or not the relationships we find uh, in the laboratory will scale all the way up to larger fires. So scaling analysis and, um, and non-dimensional uh, analysis is, is used an awful lot. And, um, but when it comes to the very, very biggest fires, they start to become atmospheric phenomena. They, they uh, involve a very large 
portion of the atmosphere. And uh, some of the biggest ones can actually become more like thunderstorms than they actually are fires. Um, they're a fire generated thunderstorm and it has all of the same characteristics of thunderstorms, lightning, hail, downdrafts, uh, very strong um, winds near the surface. So um, uh, it's very difficult to go from the laboratory all the way up to these large atmospheric scales. And so in, in fact, you have, to, you have to actually go take measurements on real large fires in order to do that. And, and there are people that, that do that. That's not part of our purview. But um, no, we're making progress all the time. And, and of course, we, uh, we publish our results in, in scientific journals and present them at, at conferences and um, work with a number of colleagues around the world um, at our university system in the United States, but also uh, all over Europe, uh, Australia, Canada, um, even South America. So uh, there are people interested in fires everywhere because it's a global phenomenon. And um, uh, we have a long history of working on fires and, and doing fire research in, in our country. Um, and, and so we're glad to partner with a lot of the countries that are just starting to uh, develop their research programs. Now, you mentioned before about, you know, how you're talking a lot about how fires spread. And uh, one thing I remember, like the difference between uh, convection and radiation. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Or as yeah, much as you want? So this falls into the realm of heat transfer, right? And so we had combustion, heat transfer, and ignition. And the, the questions about heat transfer are still uh, very, uh, um, very, very much unresolved. So for a very long time, for, for many decades, um, a lot of scientists had made the assumption um, not entirely backed up by experiments, but made the assumption that radiation was the principal heat transfer mechanism in wildland fires. And, and when I say radiation, that is electromagnetic, it's thermal, thermal radiation from the thermal band of the spectrum. And um, it is radiating from the fire or from the flames or from the glowing solid material in the fuel bed. But that radiation uh, is transferred through the air um, without heating it to impinge on fuel particles adjacent to the fire and heat them up. Now, the, the issue in wildland fire is that most of our fuel particles are very small. They're the pine needles, they're the grasses, the fine twigs or foliage on shrubs um, or on trees. And these very fine particles have a unique way of handling radiation. They heat up, the surface heats up from the radiation, but because they're so small, they cool off because they're bathed in the ambient, cold ambient air, uh, they cool off very effectively by convection. Essentially, they suffer from wind chill, okay? So if you've mm -hmm. ever stood out in the wind and the wind is impinging on your body, taking your heat away, well, that's what happens to very fine particles much more efficiently than to us as very large um, uh, creatures. So the smaller the particle, the thinner the boundary layer is on it. Boundary layer is a thin shell of of air that's right next to the to the particle or to the hard surface. And the thinner that is, the easier it is to disturb it, to move it off. So very thin particles, when the air blows by them, or when they simply heat up and heat the air around them, um, that is replaced then by cold air, uh, that removes the heat that they absorb by radiation. And so most of our fine particles will remain way too cool to even begin to decompose from the heat, much less ignite. From radiation. And this is very easily demonstrated by laboratory experiments. And we have uh, people that have developed models of this, um, numerical models, 
um, where you can calculate the heat transfer inside a particle based on the outer surface conditions, the boundary conditions. So a great deal of math is used there. So the alternative to radiation is convection. And this is a very messy um, phenomenon. It's a, this is one reason why it's been a little studied is because um, there are very few uh, solid theories about it. Uh, it. It's mainly based on experimental data, on empirical data. And so uh, we trying to understand, we're trying to understand convection from, from fires. And um, so think to, to imagine the complexity here, uh, as we've already talked about fluid mechanics, but you're watching the campfire and the flames are dancing and they're moving. And that, that's what makes them entertaining to watch. Um, it, the problem is how do you predict where those flames are going to go? How do you characterize the distribution or the presence of those flames? And then, since this, we've been talking about a campfire, but imagine then a wind blowing on it, right? Or fires of different sizes, um, uh, different flame zone dimensions. Now you say, well, you have to roll all these factors in to some kind of a mathematical uh, model or a physical model that explains how these flames are moving. Now, fluid dynamics, computational fluid dynamics is used, but it's very expensive computationally, right? It takes a lot of computing power to do that. And so that's never going to be practical for rapid field applications because our computers are just not powerful enough to process um, these calculations uh, faster than real time. So we need for a model to be useful in prediction, it has to be many times faster than real time. So we're trying to come up with very simplified um, uh, representation of this convective heating. And what we find is that um, even though these, these flames are moving and they're highly uh, non-steady, there are actually some patterns to those flames. Um, in some configurations, there's some, there are some kind of predictable or describable patterns to the flames caused by their buoyancy. And uh, these patterns uh, control things like the, the frequency, the frequency of the flames uh, moving out from the flame zone. They actually uh, engage in these little excursions occasionally from the edge of the fire, and they're pushed down and out away from the fire and they touch fuel particles. And the frequency of those excursions is, is, can be described by, um, uh, but in the frequency domain, it can be described by um, Fourier analysis or um, you know, other kinds of um, analysis of intermittent um, behaviors, um, but also the distance that these flames travel. Um, we, we use a lot of different methods for that, uh, fine thermocouples or high, like I mentioned, high-speed videography to capture movements of flames um, uh, it, you know, many hundreds of frames per second, you can start to see a lot of these patterns um, form. So it's not pure turbulence. Um, sometimes people uh, make an assumption that flames, because they tend to be turbulent for the larger flames, uh, that, they're, that they're all turbulent, but they're not. In fact, a lot of these structures in the flames are not turbulent structures. They're, they're much more regular and much more um, understandable than simple turbulence. Um, so convection is a tough problem. The, the real challenge for us is to come up with simple ways that are very, that are physically meaningful, that simple ways to describe the convective heat transfer that is responsible for heating these particles up and raising them to ignition temperatures so that the circle of life can continue for fires. And um, until we can do that reliably, um, our models are always going to have that weakness. They're not going to be able to represent convection very well. So we, we study, in order to study convection, um, we, we try, we, 
many different techniques, but one is we study stationary flames. We have gas burners where we, we create essentially flame zones that are very much like wildfires. We create them with uh, gas burners, and then we can study the flames without having them moving. So we study spreading fires too, those that are moving with the wind or upslope. But uh, the, the challenge for measuring convection is, is like weighing a dog while it's running. That's pretty difficult, right? So it, when you're trying to measure flames for a moving fire, then it's moving, it's running away from you. You got to make it sit still so that you can take the measurements. And so uh, that's why we contrive a lot of our experiments. They, they look very artificial compared to wildfires, but they help us understand the process. So that was a good analogy, Mark. I mean, waiting <laughs> and while it's moving, that sounds pretty hard. And, and actually everything you're doing, it, it sounds, the research very valuable and then also and so many things involved with it. It's very intricate as well. Is there anything you'd like to add? Anything we missed? Oh, um, I think that uh, we're, we need to distinguish between the technology and the science of fire. Okay, I think this is very important that uh, a lot of times when we think about fire modeling, for example, what we're thinking about is technology. We're thinking about computers and rendering of, of images and, and transferring information to people making decisions on fires. But, but and, and this technology is very important, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't take the place of good science. We have to spend time understanding the problem before we can produce reliable technologies for modeling it or predicting it or using it as tools. And so I would just conclude with that, that right now we're, we're focusing a great deal of our efforts on the science, but we haven't lost sight of the technology and about the applied part of this. All right, Mark, thanks very much. Uh, that's Mark Finney, who's with the US Forest Service and he's, he's studying fire and he's uh, at its fire research station in Missoula. Uh, Mark, good luck with everything. It's, it's very, like I said, it's very important research. Thank you very much, I've enjoyed it.